Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. It's great to have you in the room with us this morning and already met a couple of guests with us and faces I haven't seen in a while. We're going to read this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great faith chapter in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, and then 17 to 19. I encourage you over the coming weeks as we talk about faith, read through the whole lot. This morning, I just give you the best of, uh, but read through the whole lot and begin to just sit in this space. It says in Hebrews 11, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then verse 17, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now there are two ways that uh, you can preach this passage, the bad way and the good way. The bad way that you preach these passages in Hebrews chapter 11 is you take all of the characters that we will see over the coming weeks from this passage and you say, just have faith like them. The bad way that you preach this passage is to even look at life in some of the examples that you see in life of great faith. Uh, For example, the Amish man who in 2006 lost his number, a number of his kids to a shooting by a guy called Charles Robert. And uh, the New York Times reported in the hours after the massacre, the Amish man named Henry arrived at the Roberts' home with a message, you are forgiven. Or if you go back further in history, you look at William Wilberforce, the great William Wilberforce, who was a bit of a crazy man before he became a Christian, enters Parliament at age 21 and spends 18 years lobbying after he becomes a Christian for the abolition of slavery until 1807 when slavery is finally abolished. And so I don't know about you, but how do you react to those sorts of stories? It's hard because I think we we hear these stories and we think, oh, I I wish I could have faith like that. In fact, uh, have you ever heard that phrase yourself from someone who's not necessarily a believer? And I don't know if it's a compliment or a criticism. I don't know if it's actually a backhanded comment when a non-believer often says to me, oh, I wish I could have faith like you. Have you ever heard that comment? (laughs) And I think whether it's we as believers looking at those great examples of faith or whether it's a non-believer looking at us saying, oh, I wish I could have faith even in the backhanded way. I think the mistake that we make when we say these things is, and we look at these examples is that we think that faith is either a trick or a talent. It's a trick to get us through the hurt and the heartache of grief and loss. It's just a crutch that we rest upon. And so it's nice to have faith because it's sort of like a placebo, a little pill that you take to get you through life. Or it's a talent like Wilberforce. I'd never be like him because, well, he was William Wilberforce. God kind of blessed him. You know how we think like that? I'd never be like him. God just blessed Wilberforce to be his man. Wrong. Faith is not a trick or a talent. In fact... Uh, you can just ask the National Australia Bank. They know. They know this the, in their advertisement where it says, "You take the leap, and we'll help you land." Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> what What Nab's saying is, this is not just a Christian thing. This is not just a non-Christian thing. This is the thing thing. The good news this morning, if you feel that you lack faith, is that everybody has faith. 
Everybody's got faith in something. All of these people that aren't lying in bed like yourselves at home watching the TV on the wall have faith in the chairs that they're sitting in this morning. I didn't see one Northsider this morning rigorously checking the legs of the chair before they sat down. We are people of faith this morning. We all have faith. We're already locked into something that we have placed our faith in. The question is whether it's God or not. We're all people of faith. It's the question of where you're going to place that faith. And so faith, faith is not some miraculous thing that just happens. Of course, the Bible does describe it as a gift from God at times. But the great reformers, if you want a bit of a history lesson, Martin Luther, the founder of our denomination, our Protestant arm of Christianity, the great reformers said that faith always began with thinking. In fact, faith had stages, the same sort of stages that you have when you're riding a bike. Notitia, a census and fiducia. That's what we think of, right? When we're a six-year-old wanting to ride a bike. I've just got to go through those stages. But you go through those stages when you go to ride a bike as a kid. Notitia, understanding. You see other kids doing it and you want to do it. A census, a census, as, as Luther would describe, is that moment when mum and dad let you go and you ride and you wobble for a little bit and you feel this supernatural feeling like, I've got it, I've got it. Did you ever have that as a kid? Remember that life-changing moment of when you went from being a person who could never ride a bike to riding a bike? That's what a Christian is, a census, this, this supernatural moment where you go, oh, I, I know I, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Trust me, I watched my little daughter who said that to herself the whole way through lockdown. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then fiducia, trust or commitment, it comes the point in time where you put your feet down, the, the pedals are, are, are running forwards and you feel the freedom in running a bike. There are stages to faith, Luther would say. And what I want us to grasp this morning is that faith is not some weird supernaturally unseen thing, but faith begins with thinking. Here's the biblical reason why. You may never have read this from this passage. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, we understand. Now, the Greek word there for understand is noiete. It means to think. Let, let me paraphrase, Sam Amplified Version. By faith, we think. By faith, we think. We reason. It's a rational process. And you would know this. You don't have to be a Christian to understand this. You notice this if you guys ever had that moment where you get the tricky news from your GP and then you need to go and see a specialist. And then you go and see the specialist. We've got one sitting in the room here this morning. He's a great specialist at what he does. And that's what you do when, when you feel that you've either got to go for the heart surgery or the cancer surgery or whatever it is. What, what do you do? You start to Google. You look them up. <laughs> RateMySpecialist.com. <laughs> you, you ask for a second opinion. Right, Eric? <laughs> Eric's a great doctor. You, 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 ask, you ask for an opinion. You, you, are they a good doctor or not? Where have they been? Where's their medical degree? Can I see it on the wall? You start to reason and through the process of reasoning, guess what happens before you go under the knife? You eventually place your faith in the doctor. Have you seen this? Faith begins with thinking. And it's true of what happens with God. This is what this passage is saying is, look, please, you've got to understand that it's not saying that Christians are a certain breed or genetically type of person that is naturally gullible. 
but rather a Christian is someone who's come to faith on the basis of seeing the world around us. Verse 3, by faith we understand. We ask ourselves the question, which faith premise has the best explanatory power of what I see? That sounds very technical. Can I say it again? Which faith premise has the best explanatory power of what I see? Now, guess what? Scientists do this all the time. Einstein did this with his famous two-slit experiment. They couldn't understand that you could fire a single photon through a split and just one photon would suddenly come out as two photons on the other side. It was the famous two-split experiment. He said, we're faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Uh, Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. And what he was talking about is he's saying, on one hand, I theorise that light is a particle, and on the other hand, I theorise that light is a wave. And when it acts this way, it's like a wave. When it acts this way, it's like a particle. What is that? Faith. I have faith when I do this in the two-split experiment that that has the best explanatory power for what I see. To which some of you are going, what has this got to do with anything biblical this morning? (laughs) Got people going here, I came to church for a science lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Burns, he's got a nosebleed down there. It's just, he's so high thinking at the moment. (laughs) Here's what I'm getting at this morning. When it comes down to the big picture of life, there are two major faith premises in the world which Hebrews chapter 1 hits you straight in the guts with first off. And you can't escape it whether you're a Christian or not this morning. The two faith premises is this, that all that we see around us, the chair that you're sitting on, the bed that you're lying in, the coffee that you're sipping, all of that is atoms that at one point were in the middle of a star. The ring that I've got on my finger is part of a universe that was one day at the centre of a star. All of this, all of this complexity and beauty has come from an all-knowing, all-powerful God or... It's just one big cosmic accident. Now, you go look friends in the eye in the excitement that you've had coming out of lockdown. Family members that you've hugged. My kids that I see. The joy that we feel. The beauty that we see in the world. Which faith premise? There is a God or there is no God. Which faith premise has the best explanatory power of what you Christian is someone that isn't gullible. They say mathematically, yeah, mathematically, of course. You know, a a, a bottle of ink can explode in this auditorium and write the Bible on the walls. It's mathematically possible. (laughs) But it doesn't make sense. There's a design, there's a beauty, there's laws of creation. We talked about the laws of gravity. There's something at play here in the universe that the faith premise that all of this is an accident does not make sense to me personally. It's why I'm a Christian at the big level. This is the faith premise that has the best explanatory power for what we see. So let's get real, because some of you are thinking, Sam, like I'm I'm dealing with coming out of lockdown here. I'm trying to deal with life. I reckon I've got PTSD with what I've been through for the past 16 weeks. I've, I've got bills to pay. I'm uncertain about my job. And you're rabbiting on about two slit experiments and best explanatory power. I think at some point in time, you and I have felt a bit like Abraham when it says here, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, and that's what these seasons of life are as a sacrifice, he embraced the promise that, that, that he was about to sacrifice his only one, one and only son, even though God had said to him, 
all of your offspring will be as much as the grains of sand around you. Now, what I love about that is Abraham experienced what you and I felt. What we feel in these moments, this tension that we feel in life, is that something happens in life, something comes along, the loss of the job, uh, a lockdown, uh, church changes, life gets crazy, mental health issues, things happen where suddenly because of life, our hearts start to feel different from what our heads know to be true. And that's what was happening with Abraham. It's saying Abraham, even though he knew that God had made this promise with him that his offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, here he is walking up the hill to sacrifice his son and he's saying, hang on God, something doesn't work out here because you said that I was going to have the offspring and you're telling me to sacrifice my son? And what is that? It's that moment... It's that moment when our head feels different from what our heart knows to, our heart feels different from what our head knows to be true and that by very definition is the definition of doubt. Doubts creep in and we feel it's in those moments when life hits us that hang on like God's not with me anymore or God doesn't know what he's on about or God doesn't remember the promise that he gave me back then and we start to feel it and we feel like we start lacking faith and what I want to say to you this morning is that you're not lacking faith, you're just not thinking enough. You've already got faith. You've got plenty of faith. It's just that when life hits you, you're not thinking about the realities of it. And so how do you grow your faith? How does faith begin to grow? Faith starts with thinking. So do what I do. I start thinking about my thinking. The first thing that I do if I want to grow my faith is I either go to the loo or I go to the shower. I don't know if you do this, but it's in a safe space. But that's where I do most of my thinking. And Yeah, I think the thinker by Rodin, you know, the guy sitting down like that. He was on the toilet. <laughs> All great thinkers have a great idea on, on the loop. And, and I, I get in these moments when I'm having a tough time in life or ministry for that matter where I just, I just go and have a good think. And I think about the big picture and I go back through it and I, I think about, I'm sure you do this at home all the time, right? I, th- I think about the fact that I, I've, I've been across to Israel and I've been on the Sea of Galilee and I've seen people over there and the stories of Jesus and the way that... Uh, that that this faith process has spread from Palestine all the way to Sydney and, and, and I, I start thinking of the ways in which um, that I'm actually here and that I've come to faith and that something changed in the calendar, I start thinking, start thinking about my thinking at the biggest level. And that, by the way, there's a biblical term for that thinking, a really technical term, it's called repentance. Right? Which I know a lot of you think repentance is what maybe what a pastor told you once that you need to repent which we always get told in the church means to turn away from your sin and do the 180 degree turn which was never the way that Jesus talked about repentance the word for repentance is metanoiete remember I said in understanding was noiete metanoiete means to think about the thinking (laughs) and you say in light of all of this in light of this picture this big picture then I come back to first principles of why I came to believe on the first place not through some miraculous prayer but the fact that I when I am part of a cosmic 2000 year old legacy of God injecting himself into the world and even the mere fact that I'm thinking on my thinking is evidence that God is at work in my life which has the best explanatory power you've got to think about your thinking what if what if this is true what, what if this is true? Somehow, 
We've got to account for the birth of the church and the fact that this movement turned the world on its head and the fact that the calendars changed and the fact that all of this good news was passed down throughout history. I love the way that N.T. Wright, a great scholar, says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an as absurd a concept to the Jews of the first century Palestine as it is today. And so really what you've got to come back to is you've got to, go, you've got to account for the first fact of why are we even here? If you lack faith, why am I even sitting here listening to this? If I'm watching, why am I even listening? There has to be something bigger than you and I at play in the world. Think about your thinking. And you don't even have to do it in the loo or the shower. But the second one this morning, I'll just leave you with two. 30% off this morning. Two-point sermon. Think on your thinking. But in particular, if you're in doubt, you need to ask yourself, what evidence do I lack or have I diminished? What evidence do I lack or I've diminished? You know, there's a great line where Paul said, says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. You know that line? We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, listen into this. Notice that Paul is not contrasting faith and thinking. He's contrasting faith and sight. And sight constantly gives rise to doubts of all kinds. It happened to me when, when I had to get my wisdom teeth out. And I went through the first, place, the first phase of placing faith in my doctor and I made sure it was a good maxilliofacial surgeon. Did all the research, they were a good one. I was ready to go, I looked at the x-rays, I told myself that I needed the operation, I needed to go and I went there. And have you ever had this moment at the dentist where you sit in the dentist chair and you look to the right and there are all these sorts of tools, shining tools that look like they've come fresh out of a James Bond movie? <laughs> And I start to lose it and I start to freak out and I'm like starting to get out of the chair and they're starting to just try and calm me down. Luckily, they gave me an injection of some of the happy stuff to make me just chill out and away we go. But what happened? I started to lose faith. And why did I lose faith? Did I lose faith because of thinking? No, I lost faith because of sight. Because I focused on the things that were right in front of me. And in fact, how in those moments when I calmed myself down did I get my faith back? I went back to thinking, okay, I've got to have the operation. I've looked at the x-rays. It's going to hurt me more if I don't have this operation than whatever pain I'm going to endure now. Uh, this is a good doctor. They're competent and skilled. And there's an anesthetic on the way. A lack of faith is not a lack of faith. It's a lack of thinking. Let me ask you, have you ever had a dentist chair moment in life? I mean, not with your wisdom teeth, but those moments where you know that God is good and faithful. You know that he's for you, and yet there are bills that have got to be paid. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the fifth date in a row that you've been on, and you don't think that you're ever going to find a partner in life. Or that you're having to endure some sort of sickness, and you're not quite sure how you're going to get through it all or you've been told that you're going to have to move have you ever had a dentist chair moment can I suggest to you that we lack faith in that moment not because you lack the ability to have faith but because those things have become so prominent in our vision that we relied on our sight and not our faith and suddenly our hearts feel different from what our heads know to be true faith always begins and faith grows firstly by thinking. So, if you think that you lack faith this morning, the good news is you've got plenty of faith. You've all got plenty of faith. You've all got plenty of faith. Have we got that this morning? 
You have faith. That's the good news this morning. Because faith is never a creation of trust. It's just a transfer of trust. It's just a movement of trust. Uh, Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, said it's not a leap of faith. It's a leap to faith. In fact, that's what becoming a Christian is, is to transfer your trust from yourself onto God. The issue is not a lack of faith. It's a lack of thinking. It's a lack of thinking. And so I want to challenge you this morning As we're wrestling through these things, if there are doubts in our life this morning, I want you to start thinking about the alternate belief that you've locked into. That's what doubt is. (laughs) If I doubt that God's not going to come through for me here, it's because I'm absolutely convinced that this is the way forward. You have faith, but it's locked into something else, which is good news, but there's a wrestle in there for each and every one of us. And it means this morning, look, if you're not yet a believer and you've managed to hang with us for 20 minutes, I mean, that's taken enough faith in and of itself. But hey, if you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing, can I push you, can I prod you this morning to go think about which faith premise you are living your life by and which one has the best explanatory power? Jesus asked that of you. He says, look, (laughs) if I am who I say I am, if I am God in the flesh coming into this world, what are you going to do with your life? Notice how Jesus never talks about repenting from your sin and all the rest of it. He says, think about your thinking. Perhaps you might repent a little this morning and to think about your faith premise. But to my brothers and sisters of the faith, I say to all of us, because we're going to go through these sorts of moments, right? If you lack faith this morning, Jesus gives gives you a great answer and it's really simple and you can do this this week. Uh, he, he gives it to you. It, it's really practical. Uh, Jesus says, if you lack faith this morning, uh, then go out, go and find the nearest piece of bush, go and find the nearest oval with some overgrown grass and look at the birds and look at the flowers. And what does he say to you? He says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. He says, consider, think. <laughs> think that if God is ordaining and keeping all of this going, why are you so anxious? Why are you so worried about your life? Why are you getting so caught up in these things? Like, surely, surely if he's looking after these things, won't he look after you, oh, you of little faith? It was a nickname, by the way, Oligopistoi. Never realised that Jesus had a sense of humour. He says to you and I this morning, little faith. (laughs) Oh, you little faiths. How can you not be getting after all that I've done in the world? How can you not be getting after the fact that we're sitting here today? There's, there's got to be more to the world around you and that I am in control of it. If you lack faith, it's not because you lack faith, it's because you're not thinking. <laughs> it's not going to fall from the sky. It's going to come from the process when you sit and you consider all that is in front of you, the beauty and the wonder and the complexity and the legacy of all that we have in life. And when you take that to heart, we live out not of gullibility, but of the best and the most sensible explanation for what we see in this life. Let's pray. Father, I do realise that as we head into another tumultuous season of life, that there is so much more than some of the cerebral that we've spoken of this morning. But Father, I would pray for each and every one of us in this moment as we each now, in this moment of communion, bring before you the things which trouble us, which concern us. We stand upon the promise that you said, Lord Jesus, that before we even pray in this moment now, that, Father, you know what it is that we need. 
May we rest in that. I pray for people that are in the midst of doubt, doubt about their careers, doubt about their income, doubt about their relationships. Father, these things are real to us this morning. But I would pray supernaturally through the guiding of your Holy Spirit that as we take this seed of truth from your word this morning and we take it back into those quiet spaces, often those quiet spaces of anger and of frustration or the quiet spaces of wonder that we will have with you this week, that your Holy Spirit will do his job, Lord Jesus, of taking what is yours and making it known to us in that moment. And in so doing, Father, I just have such a wonderful confidence that you are going to grow us individually and as a church. I just have a belief that this week, Father God, that even greater faith will arise in this place. That in a world in which we're seeing so many people living chaotically, talking chaotically, (laughs) wondering, yearning, that, Father, uh, you would instill in us a stability and a poise and a certainty not through the mysterious, but through the great wealth and history of all that you have revealed to us over time. Meet us in that space and take that knowledge and help it to transform these crazy, flippant little hearts of ours. Go in all sorts of directions all the time. We thank you for your grace, your cheeky understanding that you understood this, Lord Jesus. Meet us and heal us from our unbelief. Increase our faith as the disciples prayed. In your mighty name. Amen. Hey, each week as a church, we take communion. If you're a guest with us online and wonder why we do this every week or you're a guest here this morning, we do this each and every week, not out of a religious tradition, but because in some respects, in light of this morning, we want to think about our thinking. We want to in the most practical and the tangible of ways say, look, this funny little pre-sealed COVID safe cup (laughs) who would have thought as he sort of sat at the table is that uh, he said you guys are doing this now with a little bit of broken bread and a glass of wine the followers that will be a legacy of your work or or you boys um, they're going to do it in COVID case safe pre-sealed cups but the principle is going to remain the same as we take the bread and the cup this morning we become certain of what it is that we hope for, to eat this again with him in the kingdom of heaven. On the basis of what we didn't get to see at that point in time, we we take this and we say, this is our, dare I say, in the shower type moment that we have now. (laughs) As we think upon the tangible reality that there is no way that you and I drink this in this moment now, if this hadn't have been passed around a table in modern day Palestine, if the word hadn't have gone out in the countryside, if there wasn't a guy called the Apostle Paul who even argued with King Agrippa at the time, look, I'm not trying to make you a Christian, but seriously, this was not done in a corner. All of that legacy has carried all the way across into Europe and down here until we have this in a hybrid service in Crow's Nest. As you do this online, as his church is scattered at the moment, but there can be no more tangible reality of the big picture of life now as we eat and drink and we take communion. This is the basis of our faith, friends. Let's do that now. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.